We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. The conversation that follows is from my incredible collection, Faces of Fierce Femininity, where I sat down with the 12 women who have inspired my embodiment journey for real, raw, and uncensored inspiration. You can purchase the collection at kellybroganmd.com and at the link in show notes. I remember the first time that I heard about Kim and Ami's work, I was sent an email by one of the most intellectual, like rigorously intellectual, brilliant PhD researchers that I have collaborated with over the years in writing up medical papers. And she sent me an email about vaginal Kung Fu and something in my mind just like snapped like a spring popped because I felt like so 
like titillated that this woman I had put into a box. This is her, now I know her, now she's a dear friend, but at the time I put her into this box and for her to send me, you know, this kind of like sexual material and to endorse it and tell me, you got to check out this woman. Like she's on our page. I was like, what do you mean? She's on our page. Look what she's talking about. Now, fast forward, what that must've been in 2015, fast forward all these years. And I consider Kim a friend and an ally and we have coasted through many, many, many a psyop over these past couple of years and just keep finding each other in the same playing field. And she has impacted my, you know, as somebody who, you know, I thought I knew about feminine anatomy, you know, as somebody who thought I had a good grasp, as somebody who specialized in reproductive psychiatry, whatever your work unlocked for me in terms of self-mastery and this this multi-dimensional reclamation of my sexual energy as not just something that I give to a man in the bedroom continues to unfold. So I am super, super excited to be in conversation with you today, Kim, and to really continue to champion your work to anyone who somehow hasn't heard of it yet. So welcome. Great introduction. Thank you. And I love that we've had this sort of parallel path where I I remember doing this video to promote your second book. And I was like, Kelly Rogan is like the me in psychiatry, like this holistic voice and a shit disturber and someone who's not afraid to call things out and this force to be reckoned with. So I love, I, it. I love it. We have that provocateur in common. Yeah. You know, but when I think of you, I, I really see and feel and witness like, and it delight in your audacity, you know, and that is like the word I think of when I think of you is, is it's one of my favorite words. So it's a huge compliment. The energy that you put out into the world is an audacious energy. And I know that you have helped to, to melt a lot of frozen parts of women's self-concepts. And I wonder if you're open to sharing, like, were you always this way? (laughs) Like, was there a time in your life when you felt really locked up and frozen and that melted somehow? Or did you sort of just like come into your gorgeous body knowing that it was your, your greatest asset, weapon, ally, gift, and really you found a way to, to share that, you know, with others. Right. Well, look, I mean, when I think back on my childhood and stuff, like I have a sense of like remembering me, you know, having this urge to stand up for people, right? Like if I saw someone being bullied or something, like I'd go in there and stand up, to, you know, for what was happening. And at the same time, I always you know, had a really intuitive sense of my sexual energy, like this energy force within me. And then the older I got to put words around it, like this portal to other dimensions, right? So not really the messaging that we're given, but this other sense, like there was something magical and spiritual about our sexuality. And so, you know, I had so early on in my sexual exploration, I had some really powerful experiences that affirmed this intuitive sense I had around sex. And then I would say it was in my late 20s that there was a particular relationship where we just went so deep in what I call demon hunting, which is around like really looking for your sexual blocks and your shadow and the parts of you that might be inhibiting the full self-actualized expression. So we did this in the arena of sexual play. And that was a real turning point of like, 
catapulting me into another dimension of, you know, I often say that one of the hallmarks of really becoming a well-fucked woman, and we can talk later about what that actually means, is that you start not to give a fuck about what other people think, right? You start to act and make decisions and say things and dress and whatever. You don't care. It's not that you're trying not to care. You just don't care, right? And you almost, you begin to enjoy you know, if people have reactions, either they just ping off of you, right? Like you've got this impenetrable force field around you that is the energy of that well-fucked, self-possessed energy. Or, you know, you kind of enjoy it, right? You're like, well, give it your best shot. Like I can take it. I can take you. I can take all of you, right? Like, and not that, you know, I don't want to be in this adversarial place, but if there's something that needs to be said, I'm quite happy to say it and I will enjoy saying it. And then people, if people get riled up around it, I don't care and don't listen, right? Like, that's really my attitude, right? Like, you don't have to be here and you can leave the room or leave the page or whatever. And so I'm happy, you know, and I'm really passionate more and more about, you know, a lot of it, like similar to you, the injustices and the misinformation, like in the sexual realm that you want to bring attention to. But I also don't dwell there. Like I want to show people the solution, right? I want to call out some of the problems, but, you know, most of my work is devoted to the solutions. So, I mean, really to answer that question, a lot of that came out of that real, like, you know, coming into myself even deeper sexually, that became a self-realization that permeated every part of my life, right? That made everything come more into alignment. And then that, it's funny you say audacious, because years ago, I remember reading when Interview Magazine, which I think is defunct now, and then it grew to be more like, mainstream over the years, but it used to be this like kind of alternative thinking Bible back in the day, like, I don't know, 30 years ago. Like, and there was this interview with Keanu Reeves and he talked about this word bodacious. He's like, it's bold and audacious combined. And I was like, and I used that as my company name for a while. It was bodacious, you know, because I was like, yeah, that's the, that's the, the anchor and the mantra is this notion of being bold and, you know, standing for what you believe in and enjoying it, enjoying that process of speaking the truth. And what's also kind of thrilling though about your body of work is that it's grounded in many ways, I think you would agree in in Taoism, right? That you have also this, you know, sort of deep anchoring in a spiritual lineage that informs your understanding of sexuality as a spiritual practice, right? And how did that sort of come into your purview? Well, it definitely is a big aspect of my work. And I think, like I said, like up until my early 20s, I was just, I'd already had cervical orgasms. Like I'd had these transcendent reality bending experiences. I felt from my own, you know, explorations that sex really was this tool and mechanism for self-growth and an actual enlightenment, a pivot to enlightenment. And then when I found Tantra and Taoism, I was like, oh, okay, so here is a framework, here's a language, here are ancient cultures who've actually talked about these things. So it was a huge validation for me of what I was already experiencing. And so I resonated more with the Taoist expression of that because they had an almost more logical or is not quite, I wouldn't call it scientific, but some of the Tantra languaging is more fluffy and airy and, you know, And I, the Taoist stuff to me was more grounded and like cut to the chase of things. And I was like, okay, I love this. And then lots of practices that they have, like even the jade egg, you know, which I'm 
well known for, like my knowing about the Jade Egg came from the Taoist practice of that, this ancient 5,000 year old practice. So yeah, I mean, I and I just love that there's already, which is a really good affirmation for us as humans, like thousands of years ago, people were looking at sex as a spiritual path. They were looking at our sexual expression as this vital pathway to our deepest, most selves, rather than some kind of moral taboo, you know, all of this messiness that we currently see right now, that's deliberate, right? If I had to call that out, that I would say sex really is the biggest psyop, right? The fact that we have all of this energy and power literally at our fingertips. And yet for some people, it could seem like it's thousands and thousands of miles away because of all the trauma and conditioning and lies that they've been told, they can't even access the power that's in their own body. And that is really the coup d'etat of all psyops when you think about it, right? Like that people are that cut off from their own power that's right there because of all the lies they've been told. Absolutely. And that was the inspiration for this, you know, entire collective is this zeitgeist moment we seem to be in, or at least I'm perceiving that women are more and more women than ever before, somehow, as a result of whatever has been thrown at us these past couple of years are awakening to this sort of like this inside job that involves their pleasure, involves their sensuality, involves their sexuality. We didn't learn it from our moms. And, you know, who can we turn to, to guide us home to this native power we perceive is present. And we also know is, is, that disconnection is the explanation for so much of this. I call it like living behind a glass wall experience of like, even when you get the things, it doesn't feel good somehow. You're still not okay. And that reconnection to, you know, vital force energy to sexuality. And a lot of what you teach is, you know, is visualization based, is energetic. In addition to techniques, you know, it's this marriage of the body form and the spirit, you know? So you use the phrase well-fucked woman and you just use the phrase well-fucked in general. And you don't imply that it really has even a ton to do. It has kind of something to do, but a ton to do with like how often a cock is in your pussy, right? So it's, it's a concept that you've put on the map as far as I can tell. And I'd love for you to elaborate, right? Because if a woman is listening or somebody's listening to this and they're trying to assess like how connected are they, you know, to their own sexuality. Maybe they're having sex. Is that what it's about? Maybe they're masturbating regularly. Is that what it's about? Like my sense is you would say, look around, you know, the terrain of their life and then look within to how it is that they're experiencing contentedness, empowerment. Right. So, so what do you mean by that phrase? Yeah. Yeah. So I coined that term years ago and it came out of this, a few things, right? Like noticing how I would feel coming out of a really transformative sex session, how I would feel, how I would look, how I would move out in the world. And this much more connected, like really feeling that like we are all one, like this is like a spiritual transcendence as though I take an ecstasy or something like I was, and I was getting that from my vagina, right? So, and then I began to look around at other people and there was a particular story. I used to have a studio and where I did my work and there was a gym that I'd go to a few times a week. And there was this German fellow, middle-aged guy who would be in there a lot as well, right? So we would talk and 
I'd come into the gym and after we got to know each other, you know, a while, I guess he was comfortable making these observations, but he'd say to me, oh, Kim, it's been a while for you, hey. And I'm like, (laughs) how does he he know this, you know? And then, or I'd come bouncing in. He's like, oh, Kim, you're getting some, hey. And I'm like, and he was always right, you know, that he could read the energy of my body, of my carriage, of my attitude whatever I was putting out into the world. And it was true. So we used to then, it became like a thing at the gym. We'd be like, oh, she's she's on the treadmill. She's like slogging it. Like, no, she's not. She's not. <laughs> like, and then in my work, you began to observe that as well, right? Like this energy of, I mean, that's even historically, the term hysteria has come out of, it really is like the ancient word for under fucked right? Like a woman, hyster is like the Latin root for womb. Hysteria was defined as like an uneasy womb, or in the time of Galen and Hippocrates, a womb that was wandering around the body lost basically because it wasn't getting enough sex or good sex. So this concept's been around for a long time. And then the remedy is to have sex. But I would say, yes, it's a kind of sex. So if we look at sexual energy as life force energy, this is the energy that gives new life. Then if we're not making babies with that energy, we can be taking that energy and channeling it into all parts of our existence as a creative power source. And so you can be having lots of sex. And I, could, and I would say being underfucked if you're not having sex that changes your life. And this is the big barometric question that I ask people is, does sex leave you feeling energized, rejuvenated, pleasured, ecstatic, and like it changed your life? And if not, you're doing it wrong. And that's just to say that there's a way of having sex that gives you energy or takes away energy. And so a couple could be in a 30-year relationship. They have a lot of perfunctory, duty, check the box, kind of, you know, five minute bust out an orgasm sex. And I'd say they could be profoundly underfucked, whereas someone who's even single could be self-pleasuring regularly, doing a lot of breathing and recirculating and consciously learning how to harvest that energy and then wear it and channel it out into the world and be extremely well-fucked, right? So it's really about learning how to consciously tap into that energy, own it, wear it, and then use it as a tangible source to create our world with. So that's really the core of what I teach is how to do that. And then the obstacles around that, that owning your sexual energy, like what's impairing that, what life blockages, what traumas, what beliefs does someone have that prevent them from just owning that energy, right? And then how do we dive into the body so that the body, the vagina, our desire become the compass, right? We begin to recreate that connection with the body because in the allopathic vernacular, it's about band-aids and smothering the messages of the body, as you well know and speak of, and ignoring them, right? And an example of that would say, be for women, them being told, oh, you have a low libido, you are not lubricating very well. Here, just take this bottle of lube and slather it on every time you have sex. And I would say, well, (laughs) that's a Band-Aid and lube is actually not a woman's best friend. It's potentially her worst enemy because it's encouraging her to override the voice and the wisdom of her vagina. If it's not wet, she's actually not turned on. Why don't we, wow, why don't we look at that? You know, and so instead trying to cultivate that relationship and listen to those messages, And then that so begins the journey of becoming well-fucked, right? Of tuning into owning that energy and then channeling it out into the world. And it becomes so tangible 
that people pick up on it. Like I said, at the beginning of this little story, you know, where people can feel that. And I get stories from women all the time where they start a conscious self-pleasuring practice. And then they go out to the gym the next day or out into the world. And men are asking them for their phone numbers. Men are like running across the street to ask them out on dates. And they're not even like dressed to kill. They're in their sweats to go buy milk, you know, at the shop. And like some guy won't leave them alone in the parking lot, right? And because they're just radiating this beauty and attractiveness, you know, that's their sexual energy that they're wearing. And so it can be a very quick process to get in touch with that, maybe a longer process to move through a lot of those blockages into a fully don't give a fuck place. But the results can be very quick once people start. And once they prioritize it, right? Because I think that's yeah, right. Like where the journey begins is making this important and maybe the most important, you know, dimension of your lifescape. So I, I remember the first time I heard you talking about the connection between you had like some hilarious video about like your coochie cha-chinging or something. I don't know. But the relationship between prosperity and this like well-fucked state, right? Because I don't know how many people would intuitively make that connection, right? Like that, that you're earning power, if you will, or your attractive power as an earner, as a creative, as a businesswoman, whatever you might say, is somehow linked to this, right? That if you want to tap into or break through the glass ceiling of yeah. your prosperity, that you you might consider focusing on, you know, the degree <laughs> to which you're well fucked, right? And yeah. that connection, I think, is essential because otherwise you're on this, right? Like masculine path of like, I do this to get this and then that happens and that, right? And that's not how how you do it, I don't think. Right? No. Yeah. Well, look, I have a, a left brain part of me that's effective, but I mean, I'd say that the real secret to that success, yeah, is being well fucked. And this idea of sexual energy being creative energy, and even the word libido, you may not put much stock in Jung and Freud, but I love their definition of Freud of like libido is our life force, the way that we individuate in the world, right? So it's not just about our appetite for sex but it was like this deeper kind of personality individuation. And that resonated with me because the more that I would see in myself and in my clients, people become more well-fucked, more inhabiting that sexual energy. They began to make more life choices that were in alignment with the truth of who they really were. So let's say somebody's working in a nine to five kind of job. It's more just to pay the bills. It's not really their dharma. It's not really the deepest expression of their authentic selves. When they become more well-fucked, they'll often just quit those jobs, like organically. They're not like, oh, like really working up to this difficult decision that they've thought about. Like one day they're just like, I'm done, right? And they move away from it, like easily, effortlessly. And then something comes to them. And the way people will often say is like, this thing just fell in my lap. And I'll say, it's because your lap attracted it, you know, like by being in touch with that energy, you brought that on. Even in the chakra system, they talk about sex and money and creativity are all second chakra issues. So the way that I see that is the more that people inhabit that energy, they become more of their true selves. They make choices that are in alignment with their truth. They begin to express more and more of their true gifts in the world, right? The things, the unique talents that we all bring into this life, that's really our dharma, our destiny, you know, to fulfill. And that when the universe sees that, 
it rewards that, right? Like in my experience and belief, like the, the universe rewards courage and truth and boldness and audacity. And when you actually speak into those places and begin to inhabit those places and you take chances and you move in that, you know, it's like that Joseph Campbell quote about following your bliss, you know, these doors open where before there were walls. And that's really the essence of that. And so people start bringing in, like, I just did this interview with this couple and I did a video called Magical Blowjobs. So they've done all of my salons. They're really devoted. And they decided to do like an extended oral sex commitment over a week. They were like, let's just, oh, because, okay, she'd actually had a thyroid, like something growing on her thyroid. And she'd taken my Well-Fucked Woman course. And in there, we talk about deep throating and the symbolism of the throat. So she's like, I'm going to deep throat my way out of this. And she did. Like she was committed to deep throating for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then she went and had this thing checked and it was gone. Right. And simultaneously, like she grew into her voice. She was speaking more truthfully and more openly. So they decided to do this oral sex marathon. (laughs) So they were doing 90 minute sessions on each other. And after the first session she did on him, they were like a 90 minute session. They were going away for a sex weekend. And in the car, you know, he gets a call from this important business contact. And he's like, I'm so sorry. You know, can I take, do you mind if I take this? I've been waiting for this call. Cause they're, you know, kind of shut the phones off almost and ready to go away for their insulated sex weekend. She's like, oh yeah, of course. So he takes the call and he gets an offer for the biggest deal they've ever had in their business, like mammoth, game-changing, everything. And they're like, did that just happen because of that endless blowjob that we just had, you know? So there's people who, you know, relate these experiences to me so much over the years that they can actually pinpoint opportunities coming to them the day after or hours after some epic transformational sex experience that they had. So that's on the micro, but I think on the macro, the whole world just opens up as well. And that fully includes like the abundance of cash and opportunities and aligned and helpful people, like all of the, all of those things just start to generate themselves. And so often, yeah, like I tell people like this, yeah, the secret is not to like the super slogging, like, you know, more left-brained masculine way of achieving things is actually learning to navigate and trust that feminine of amplifying that energy in ourselves. And then we attract those things. We magnetize those things to us. And I've seen it so many times now that I can speak about that with total confidence as a fact, you know? I love it. And I'm just even thinking about how like neurobiologically this like sunbeam is really penetrating. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to move. How neurobiologically, you know, it really interrupts the fight or flight patterning for you to prioritize pleasure and sexuality at a time where you might be otherwise like drawn to scarcity or, or really vigilance, you know, and sort of like, I don't have enough money. How do I do the thing? And if you turn towards like, let's say a a self-pleasure practice or a, an extended, you know, oral sex practice with your partner at a time when you are trying to make ends meet, let's say, I mean, it would never be doing that if you were being right, like chased by the tiger or whatever. And to reorient in that way, it must just confer some like regenerative patterning neurobiologically. Like it's like a, it's like a way to turn the whole situation on its head. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. 
it seems like a secret sauce, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Love it. So speaking of partners, I know that you've spoken about, you had an incredible interview early in the pandemic talking about beta males, right? And talking about this sort of, I don't know, can we call it an epidemic of men who have, I mean, we could get into all sorts of theories about how they got that way. Maybe they were castrated by their moms who were afraid of men and they were raised without father figures. And and here we are, you know, as women in, you know, collective crisis looking to really like a bit of an empty stage where the alpha men should be standing up, right? And there are so many women I imagine that you encounter and work with who are really longing for that kind of energy. And of course, there is a lot that we can do as women to get into a vibrational match, right? To that kind of energy. What do you think is going on, right? Like, what do you think is going on with true polarity between men and women? What do you think is happening sort of on the world stage, maybe engineered or not? And then what can we do, right? To, to ready ourselves for that kind of partnership that feels more complementary energetically, where we can really exhale in this way that I think we long to as yeah. feminine beings. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think if we look over the landscape of the past couple of years and thinking or longer now, that what's really needed is alpha males, right? Like the alpha males are the protectors of the realm, the defenders, like they don't let intruders or evil, whatever you want to call it, come through the gates. And I do believe there's been a deliberate engineering of the removal of that energy and those ideas out of the culture so that it becomes easier to implement agendas or whatever, you know, that there's no one there to really protect the flock. And so now like the interview you're referring to was big dick energy, BDE. And it was somebody who at the beginning of the whole lockdowns defied them, right? And said, you know, we don't believe in this and come and come at us, you know, and they're these giant, the sort of stereotypical, like, but beyond, right? Like big, muscular, strong, powerful guys with this really beautiful archetypal masculine energy. And what I found actually in the, in the real true alpha males is that they aren't that sort of cliche of toxic masculinity. They're actually deep, thoughtful, sensitive, beautiful men who also are strong and powerful and could physically take just about anybody, right? Like it's this, that's the actual alpha male. But we've been poisoned to think that this idea of toxic masculinity of an abuse, a man who's abusing his power is somehow the alpha male, right? There's been a mismatch there or like a deliberate obscuring of the truth of that. And so I think that, you know, I talk about that a lot in my work is really celebrating the alpha male and celebrating the archetypal masculine and encouraging men that if they've gone to a four-year liberal arts college, right, and been taught that they needed to be a beta male, they needed to respect that respecting women meant a certain kind of almost a weakness or deference or this beta male energy. And the reality is that no woman wants to fuck a beta male. No one does. Unless they've been indoctrinated into this kind of gender neutrality bullshit, you know, where they mentally tell themselves that that's what they want. But I don't think their pussies are telling the same story, right? Like you and I were joking about like certain alpha males and there must be all these like gushing pussies like surrounding them. Like just the women in their sphere must just be like, oh, oh, be still my beating heart, you know? And um, 
Yeah, like, so I really encourage that both and like validate it in women, right? And try and name it because I think that the hugest thing in this polarity conversation, it's at play in every single relationship. But most of the time, if people haven't come across the term and studies of polarity, they don't know how to name it, right? They know that the woman, kind of like you were describing, like the woman's like taken the role of the, like being over-controlling. She doesn't really trust the man and his direction. So she becomes over-masculine. She's wearing the pants in the family. He's become frightened of her. He's afraid of stepping out of line. He's sort of cowering in the corner and he's stopped taking initiative. He stopped making important decisions and taking direction or, or making direction because he's going to get his head bitten off. And so they both retreated into these opposite type corners and they're both fucking angry about it. They're both resenting each other for it. None of them are, neither of them are happy. They just don't know how they got there and they don't know how to get out. So that is the first step is like explaining that notion of polarity of like the archetypal feminine and the archetypal masculine and how that actually creates the most polarity and attraction and sparks. And, you know, I've, so a lot of my, it starts with the naming of that and then validating and giving permission, right? Like I often give the example of a woman, you know, this whole like consent is important. Well, of course, consent is important. But if you were to like approach a woman to have sex, especially let's say a woman that you're involved with, will just get the other sort of gray area out of the way and be like, if you're not busy later, like if, if you're not doing the laundry or cleaning the house or eating, changing the kitty litter, would you? be interested in maybe having sex with me and I can record, you know, I can give you a piece of paper you can sign. So we know that you've got, you've consented to this, right? Like woman's going to be like, get the fuck out of here or just be like, no, I've got more kitty litter to clean. Thanks very much. You know, versus a man who takes a woman and slams her up against the wall, pins her arms up against her head, you know, uses a knee to spread open her legs and growls into her neck. I'm going to fuck this shit out of you and picks her up throws her over his shoulder, carries her into the bedroom and throws her down. She's going to be like, I will cancel all those crazy important meetings I had all day. You know, take me on yours. It's that energy that women are craving and they aren't getting. So I think for women, it's also then cultivating their feminine, right? Like the more that they can cultivate and like let go of some of those over-masculinizing traits that they've taken on as a compensation, that they will begin to evoke and bring that more into their sphere. If it's a couple, then the couple needs to be talking about this, right? To identify it. And then these are things I deal with in my salon is like how to get them back to that place of more exaggerated polarity. But in her daily life, I think it's finding ways to inhabit and accept and trust that being in more of her feminine energy is going to get her what she wants in her life, is going to magnetize opportunities and people into her space that we've all been taught. I was taught, you were taught, like to get anything done in the world, to achieve anything in the world, we have to be like men. And, you know, maybe generations now are coming into this in a different way, but certainly like where I was growing up, it was like, that was the notion, like you have to, feminine qualities are going to be, are going to mess you up, right? Like you got to adapt into this masculine world. And fortunately, early in my twenties, I started to like step out of that when I was on a path of growth and wellness of like, hmm, maybe that's not actually me, like maybe I'm a lot more feminine than I think I am. And my definition of what feminine is and the power that it has has just been eroded, right? Like I've been, in a way, again, sort of lied to. 
And so when women actually step into that power, they become uber powerful. It's just, it's a, it's a pivot that we're not really taught. And you have to search for places and people to help you understand what that even is. And then to embody more of that and trust that your life won't stop. You won't, you know, like your progress in the world, you will grow and move and evolve and and create things, but you're doing it from a different place, from more of this feminine. Look, I mean, women truly are the ultimate creators on the planet. We create new life. Our vehicle, our bodies are the portals for new life in the world. So if anyone knows how to create, it's us. But with all of these plans to separate women from the power of their sexual creative energy of their reproductive organs, of literally cutting them off from that power, cutting off those organs, women are often quite lost in how to come anywhere close to that. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think part of the, the pivot, like the, the sort of elephant in the room is that as you're saying, we have a deeply wired, at least those who have this, like, you know, as David data calls it, like a feminine essence, right? Like we're deeply wired to consensual, you know, handling (laughs) by a dominant masculine being. And yet we've been like railing against the unconsensual version of that domination, not only women, but humans for the greater part of human history, right? So like, how could we want secretly the thing that is supposed to be the source of our oppression, right? To be like handled in this way, to be overpowered in this way, to submit in this way. And I I think that's part of like just the cognitive dissonance of awakening from, you know, the place that we've come to at the end of the road of whatever these waves of feminism have been about that left us really dried up and unsatisfied and unfulfilled and longing for something that we can't get coherent around. So we're constantly in this like entitled bitchy, like man hating experience. And I know that for me, part of the practice of ending the war with men, which, you know, consciously or unconsciously I've been waging most of my life. It has been to like find that little place, as you're saying, like within every man, can I live in a world where every man has a little place I can trust? Every single one, right? Like every pedophile, every rapist, every, you know, sociopath, there's a little place, right? Which of course just means everyone is fundamentally divine, all the humans anyway. And meaning like not the, not necessarily the cyborgs and everything else who are the reptiles, but that we can find that little place and that I think the struggle to do that in some cases has revealed to me whatever it is that I'm getting out of diminishing men, right? Cutting them down, wanting to be in a position of control so that I feel safe, micromanaging as we were talking about. So it's a tall order and probably a lot of trauma healing and looking at, you know, mother woundology and all these things that not all of us are, are interested in, in exploring. I was thinking about you though recently because I spent a couple of days on sort of like a BDSM oriented dating app, right? I really don't get dating apps. Like I'm trying to get, like understand how that could possibly work that you would like interact with somebody you don't feel their energy and whatever. Anyway, so I spent a couple of days on it and they're all these like self-identified doms, right? And there is like a huge culture of promoting their like vaccination status, even like some of these people whose profiles are like, you know, self-identified dominance, 
right? And they, they're like wearing their mask. And I really was like, wow, <laughs> you know, like the twisting up and the capture of the valorizing of caretaking, I guess, the population, the women, the vulnerable, like through their vaccination status and participation. I mean, it was, it was really astounding to see. It wasn't just like a guy, like it was a thing. <laughs> it was a thing in there. And that's also what we are ungrading is, right? Like, what is it to be a protector in a, narr- a dominant narrative that says we're all being endangered by our own bodies and by these invisible, mysterious particles? You can imagine that a man who's not educated himself might see, okay, well, I'll take the, you know, roll up my sleeve and protect my woman in this way. And it's just like, wow, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. That's yeah, that's crazy. That's a very interesting inversion, right? Like wearing a slave mask and getting penetrated by some random rando essentially, which is what these shots are, right? Like like multiple times. (laughs) So that's bizarre. I mean, to hear that is just kind of shocking. But then I just kind of consider like, is that true, Dom? Are those really oh, dumb? I mean, right? Not for me. Like, would not work for me. <laughs> yeah. No. So yeah, there's just so many layers, you know, and maybe, maybe it's just exposing, right? These like subtle layers of inauthentic claim of that masculine energy. So, so, so interesting. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about sort of, again, because I asked you where in your process you began to wake up and and it was in your twenties. Like for most of us, that's decades earlier than we have any exposure to the de-secreting, de-shaming, let alone the embrace and celebration of sexual energy integration of it. And so obviously, you know, as a mother of two girls, I've been thinking about this for their entire lives, right? Like how can I empower them in their bodies? Of course, I initially was thinking about it sort of defensively, right? Like how do I make sure that they know how, you know, how sacred their bodies are and they protect themselves, whatever. And now I feel it's, it's really early opportunities for interacting with the energetics of sexuality and early opportunities for self-mastery when it comes to awareness around anatomy and their cycles. And so I decided, you know, I have a 13 year old and I decided that we are going to do, we are doing vaginal Kung Fu together. Right. So I'm sitting down with her and we're going, she's, you know, she kind of came out the womb, uh, you know, an actualized woman. I mean, she's just such a, such a sage and she's yeah, incredible. She's a woman really already in so many ways, maybe for better or for worse. Maybe she was a parentified child because of my insufficient mothering. I don't know. But nonetheless, she's super excited about it. And we, you know, we sit down and we go through the videos and modules together and she just really digs you and your energy and she can receive it. And for me, that's incredible because at her age, you know, I don't even know that I would be able to receive it or understand it or grok it. Right. But I do think that generationally there's, as long as we don't fuck them up, you know, like biologically that they have more and more access to things that might've taken somebody like me decades to like unpack all the brainwashing, then insert the new information. And for her, it's just kind of like, okay, this makes sense. You know, this is how I can learn about, you know, my cycle and what is conscious contraception? What is my sexual energy? How do I work with it? You know, how do I identify my relationship to my own vagina? Like, what does that look like all day long? And what is the anatomy? And I wonder what you think, because I'm pretty sure you didn't design that course for, for tweens and teens. But I wonder what you think is the best way to approach 
bringing our daughters like into the fold and really how to talk about, right? Because she's cycling now, how to even talk about literal intercourse conception without focusing on the dangers of pregnancy, right? Like as if that's all that sex is about, right? Like I was not allowed to have sex. That was literally the rule for that reason. And that was all the education I ever got, right? It's just like the fear mongering about it and and nothing about the sacred nature of it. So, you know, I know that you haven't had the experience of, of daughters per se, but I'm sure you have a perspective on what the best way is to invite them into this field. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love that. And I've had women do that over the years where they bring their daughter into vaginal Kung Fu. And so I love that you're doing that. And I think that is the way, like as parents that we, we get in there first, right? Like both with, I think the conversations and the openness and the invitation that that's always a subject that's available for discussion. And also through our own work, right? Like when we're doing our own shadow demon hunting and we're exercising like our own like preconceived ideas and programming around sex, those reverberations filter down into our children by osmosis, right? And so they're picking up on and receiving the benefit energetically through this miasmic transfer of all the work that we do, especially in the sexual realm. But then, you know, the openness and the conversations that we have, and we model that to them, right? Like even if we were in a relationship or dating or as a couple, right? Like showing affection, showing sexual affection, right? This couple that I mentioned with the million dollar blowjob, like their kids, they've got six kids, I believe. And like their kids all know, right? Like the the husband came back from a work trip and one of the younger daughters is like, I think, are you and daddy going to go have whatever they call it, smush, smush time or something, like, right? Like, cause you haven't seen each other for a little while. Like they all respect it as the glue of the family and the relationship, right? So we have the opportunity to write that story for our children the way that we see it. And I we, we go whole hog, right? Like we just, we're open the way that we view it and we want them to view it. We have those conversations as early as we can. We even have sex education books that we, we endorse, like around the house, on the bookshelves, right? Like that we just don't hide it. We don't hide it. And so that whole process of biosmosis, it comes through. And I think the best thing that we can do you know, that, that fear that is a valid fear of like teenagers being so susceptible to all of this stuff that's in the world, especially around sexuality and getting their sex education, like you said, either in a school where the most common directive would be, you know, yeah, sex can kill you and get you pregnant. So you're done. That's your sex set. Right. And that lens of fear and almost deliberate hiding of the truth of it. But if we're giving them the, so that all of that openness and education, and then also the overall confidence building and sovereignty so that they have the wherewithal to make those decisions in the moment, right? Like I had a couple come to one of my retreats and guy was like fiercely protected. He was like, my daughter's like 19 and she's got this boyfriend and she's like scared she's going to have, maybe she was younger. She might've been like 16 or 17. Actually, I'm scared she's going to have sex. And I said, well, look, if you've raised her in a way that she is uber confident in who she is as a sovereign being, you will then be able to trust that she will be able to make that decision 
maybe she's that's the love of her life and losing her virginity at age 16 is totally appropriate right like and maybe it means waiting till she's 25 there isn't like a you know an arbitrary age or time and relationship it's like that we've instilled that level of full compass navigation in our children that they will make that right decision in the moment you know like that's the best empowerment we can give rather than some kind of arbitrary direction around it right and we love that you're and we have to get in there first because if we don't get in there the culture at large is going to get in there like if you can get in there with that sacred information about periods and menstruation, that's going to be the foundation rather than periods are dirty and shameful and ew, gross. And you're like a pariah of society for that time of your month, right? And your life will stop. Like, you know, like if we get in there first, we're the foundational information about what the truth is. And, and then it'll resonate with them, right? The truth resonates if they're clear enough beings they're going to hear that and be like, well, that is the truth of what menstruation is. That does feel right before they get the other pelting on top of that, you know, from the outside world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I have a friend whose daughter just started bleeding and she was telling me how she was like crying. And I was relaying that to, you know, to my, my eldest, where we had this like big, you know, first moon ceremony with the whole circle of women. And it was like a whole big to do with flowers everywhere and gifts. And she loved it. She loved every second of it. And so this like imprint of her, you know, her menarche is celebratory. She's psyched about it. You know, it's, it's such a different branding, but I, I'm really reflecting on, you know, what you're talking about as far as modeling goes, because I think that, you know, even as like a single woman, now I had the realization the other day that, I only ever go in my, like, I don't self-pleasure on the weeks that I have my girl. I have my girls half of their life. Right. And on the weeks that I don't, if they're not in school, I just don't. Right. Why? I mean, my like daughter often sleeps with me. Like, it's like, I just don't. And not for any particular reason, other than that, I would have to close the door and give them some indication of like why I'm closing the door. And normally I close the door when I need to scream into a pillow, when I need like a minute, when I'm moving emotion, when I need to like shake something, when I'm struggling basically, right? Like they know that that's just how we do in this family. We all do it, right? However, I sat down with them the other day and I was like, listen, I am going to now start closing the door at times when I just want to be with my body, when I want to do a self-pleasure practice, just so you know. And they were like, okay. And so I could see like, wow, that was just my own, it's my own stuff. And that's beautiful modeling right there. And that's all it needs to be is like, you know, couples do the same thing. Like we're going to go have connecting time. Mommy and daddy, it's our connecting time. We need connecting time, you know? And like, because I think I like my upbringing and what I would see around me was just like a full kind of like wall around that right like did sex ever happen with these people right like you know like we should somehow hide it it should be totally hidden from children and the rest of the world or whatever like to know that it even happens and so and that's in itself a tool of really fucking people up right that's gaslighting right there that's a form of gaslighting is like acting like it never happens and what you know it's like that is the glue of the relationship that is the parental container is the depth and power of their sexual connection is fueling the entire family unit right it's giving energy and feeding and containing the entire family unit and if we're a single parent it's the same thing 
right? Like the state of our being is the container. And if that is fueling us and energizing us, it's the same way of creating that container. So I love that you said that. And I love their reaction, which also is a testament to the fact that they're already fairly open, right? They're already considering this a normal part of life. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's in much thanks, you know, to your modeling and to the space holding that you do for the reclamation of this, the norm, you know, rendering normative, you know, this, every time I put on a, a skirt, I think of you without your underwear, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's fucking do it. It's so much the energy you bring to it. So I want to ask you, Kim, in closing question I've asked everyone, and you have so many tools, so I can only imagine what you're going to choose, but I'm asking for one tool that you've used personally that brings you out of here, you know, if you're getting up here into your head and dissociating, disconnecting from your body, what is one thing that you do to bring yourself back in? I mean, it's hard to, it is hard to pick one, but I guess it's anything that involves immersing and losing myself in my body. So that might be working out with weights that might be surfing that like surfing is actually one of my top ones. And then some kind of sexual activity, whether it's self-pleasuring or using a jade egg or making love or actually cock sucking is probably my, one of my favorite sex acts, like, like this cock so far in my throat that just obliterates my mind. Like it's probably even a fast your way of getting out of my mind just look like okay so cock sucking and surfing can I pick two (laughs) (laughs) I just found the clip I need for this entire series (laughs) (laughs) so good I love it and you know I will continue to endorse how many tools you make available in really a beautiful arc like a journey you know through each of your programs and also through tons of your free videos i mean you have so much free content that is super practical like super pragmatic like put it to use you know to up your hand job game tonight you know kind of a thing let alone you know what is it to what is a cervical orgasm and what does it mean to recruit you know your your soul into the process of orgasmic release so i'm so grateful for your work grateful to call you a friend and to be on this this path with you. Thank you, Kim. Thanks, Kelly. This has been awesome.